Hello, friends. Welcome to the Trinity Podcast. My name is Matthew. I'm the parish pastor at Trinity in Decatur. Our scripture for this morning's reflection is 1 Corinthians 15, 12-26. It's from a passage at the end of a letter that Paul wrote to this church in Corinth, and it has in it one of some of the most important writings in the whole Bible on the importance of resurrection. And it says a lot to you and me on how to think about resurrection, how to think about Easter. What is the season that we're in and how do we uh, keep the feast with one another? So I'm going to read verses 12 to 26 of 1 Corinthians 15, and then I'll pray and then share a few thoughts uh, that I had after reflecting on this text this morning. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, well, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. And for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that we live in a world in which Christ has been raised. And we believe that that would, if we let it fully in, it would change our whole life. So God, give us ears to hear you today and a heart to embrace the good news that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're jumping into the middle of an argument that Paul has been making for a couple chapters on the resurrection. He, at the close of his letter to the Corinthian church, is spending a lot of time here, probably because in the Corinthian church there were uh, some people of influence, some teachers who were beginning to question the legitimacy of the resurrection, uh, beginning to say the sort of things that you and I hear today, like, is it really necessary for there to be a physical resurrection? Isn't a metaphorical understanding enough? Isn't this idea that all things will be renewed or that there is some sort of a second chance that is given to all of us or whatever language is, is wrapped around this idea of metaphorical resurrection. And Paul is saying very clearly, no, it, it actually matters a great deal that this is seen for what it is, which is a historical and a material fact. Resurrection and Paul's thinking is just that, a historical and material fact, or it is nothing at all. 
it's good for us to recognize that people in the first century were as skeptical about the radical and wild, seemingly impossible claims of Christianity as people are today in the 21st century. We tend to fall into the trap of what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, where we just assume that people who came before us were far more gullible, that they were silly and superstitious, that they didn't think scientifically, that they didn't question things. They just took everything as though it was was an automatically valid thing. And, and of course, that's not true. Um, people, people doubted things just as much then as they do now, um, even if they had slightly different grids or language for what was behind their doubt. Um, but people have always known that when someone dies, that's it. A person doesn't die and then come back to life. There is no such thing as that in the natural world. And into that, Paul makes this argument that if Christ is not alive, meaning if the physical body of Jesus did not suddenly and wonderfully begin to breathe, the heart begin to beat, he stood up and walked out of the tomb on two feet and left it empty behind him. If that did not happen, Paul says, then we are all wasting our lives. We all should walk away from the church and never look back. If his bones are still in a grave somewhere, we should, we should have nothing to do with Christianity going forward. Because the whole thing hinges on a physical resurrection. The literal, physical, embodied, real time and space, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is, in Paul's thinking, the foundational truth of his life. It is the foundational truth of every Christian's life. It's what it means to be a Christian, actually. To believe that these events actually took place and that they have deep cosmic spiritual implications but that they began in real time and space when a dead jewish rabbi suddenly began to breathe again after two days in a tomb john updike's uh, famous seven stanzas for easter uh, is often revisited this time of year i just want to read a couple of those stanzas he writes make no mistake if he rose at all it was as his body if the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecule remit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the eleven apostles. It was as his flesh, ours, the same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might new strength to enclose. So let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages, but let us walk through the door. The resurrection, Paul wants you and me to know, is a historical and a material fact or it is nothing at all. And because of that, Paul goes on to just give a couple of implications for this. The first is implications of the present, that the resurrection is transformative of our present. It speaks to our current state. He says, because of the resurrection, you and I are no longer in our sins, meaning that there is divine power that is made available to you and me to no longer live in bondage to things that there is actually an opportunity and option for us to live freer than we are living right now. If we will rely on the spirit, if we will seek to find that power in Jesus. 
Secondly, he says, uh, because the resurrection is real, those who have departed already in Christ, uh, they are not perishing, but rather they are in a posture of waiting. They are, they are currently in a state of anticipation for that time when they too will be resurrected, which finally speaks to the predictive nature of resurrection. It tells us what the future is going to look like. Paul uses the agricultural term first fruits as a creative analogy for how we can understand our own future based on the resurrection of Jesus. So first fruits is when a farmer would go and look at the very first thing that was growing in a field that he had planted, for example. And he's able to tell from how those first, you know, um, stalks of wheat or whatever are doing, he's able to tell probably what the rest of the crop is going to look like. It's an indicator of the future for the rest of that field. Um, in other words, when we look at the body of Jesus, the resurrected life of Jesus, we can see what our resurrected life will be like, which is it'll be a material resurrected life. It'll include eating, and uh, drinking, and being with friends. It will include moving about on a material world and having a physical body that can be touched. It also will include, apparently from the stories in the Gospels, uh, some unique powers, things that actually aren't a normal part of the material life that you and I live right now. Um, but we can't really <laughs> understand or know for certain what any of that will be. Um, one of the interesting things about the, the body of Jesus, the resurrected body of Jesus, is that even though it was uh, not just resuscitated, it was clearly renewed. It was, it was a new creation in many ways. It was a resurrected body and not a resuscitated body. And yet it bore scars. And I think it's really, um, for me, it's always been a source of immense comfort to realize that there's something about our scars that will go with us into resurrection and yet our 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 will be redeemed i was thinking this week about uh when i was meditating on the stations of the cross i was looking at this uh, picture of jesus as he is in the process of being tried and i was looking at his hands in one of the scenes and i noticed that the hands had no uh, scars in them they had no nail wounds which of course they didn't he hadn't been crucified yet in that scene and then I was thinking about how the resurrected Jesus, the Jesus that I will see, the Jesus that you will see, that Jesus will have holes in his hands and his feet. It's almost like without those holes, he's not Jesus, which is why the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ was actually made perfect through suffering. There's something about our scars that you and I will carry with us. Um that actually will be some of the most important stuff about us in the resurrected world. God is a way of redeeming and saving, rescuing everything. Nothing is lost in God's kingdom and God's economy. And so as we enter this Easter season with one another, um, we, we keep the feast. And that doesn't simply mean that we eat really good food for the next 50 days, although certainly I hope you will. Um, but it's actually, as Eugene Peterson described it, we practice resurrection. We recognize that the material world around us is actually our forever future home, that the body that you and I are in is our forever future body. And we engage these things in redemptive ways, recognizing that God is literally making all things new. One of the ways that we can engage our bodies, and I don't just mean our physical bodies, but our whole selves, is engaging our scars in redemptive ways. 
maybe this is a season where you can begin to look at some of the parts of your life and story that have wounded you the deepest and begin to release to God these things, believing that they will one day perhaps be some of the most glorious things about you, the things that make you you, the things that God has redeemed and made new creation through. And so may you in this Easter season and this week, may you begin to get a sense of God's renewal in all parts of your life and story and body. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Be well, friends. Hope to see you soon.